Well, yes, and, uh, and tonight it's questions. So question time format tonight. I've got one. Belinda's got one. I don't know. You'll have to tell me what they said, and then I'll tell you. That that was that was Job. That was Job. He said that. Right. Many times was like moaning and then cheered himself up somehow. Mm. How do you cheer yourself up biblically when you don't feel very cheerful? Right. How do you cheer yourself up biblically when you're not feeling very cheerful? Um, how do you hope? Well, things like despair and depression, etc., etc. Um, in the the Psalms and various parts in the Bible and there was a time when Job says to himself I will cheer myself up and when you sort of like go into sort of like the Hebrew when it's in the Old Testament and the Greek in the New Testament the idea that comes across is that you have to give yourself a good talking to you have to give yourself a good talking to and somebody said once uh, that we we need to learn or I need to learn to talk to myself rather than letting myself speak to me you see and that there comes a time when, because a lot of times when, you know, sort of like you're down in the, and Job ended up sitting in an ash pit, you know, which is a lovely, a lovely little picture, isn't it? Sort of like when, you know, despair has turned to depression and everything's black, blah, blah, blah. Um, now, obviously accepting that there are times when things are really bad. I mean, we're not sort of saying that there's, there's something wrong with feeling black or we're not saying there's something wrong with the feelings of being really down. They're natural and they're normal. But what you've got in the Bible is, is kind of the idea that when that happens, we've got to set a limit on how far it goes, if you see what I mean. <laughs> Because if we're not very careful, it turns into self-pity. And what happens then is that the entire universe contains only oneself. You see what I mean? And that all you're thinking about is yourself. And, 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 and that God is kind of pushed out, everyone else is. And somehow then you're not available. Can you see? It's kind of, um, I mean, what you're going through may be great sadness. And, uh, yeah, there is nothing wrong with feeling sad. There is nothing wrong with feeling down. That is a natural thing to happen, all right, when certain things occur. But what we've got to do is all the time have our guard up that we're setting a limit, that it doesn't turn into a sheer self-indulgence thing and sort of like, oh, sort of like, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. And uh, sort of like, for instance, I mean, someone might sort of like turn to you for a bit of help and they say, look, can you help me? I've got a problem. Oh, you think you've got problems, is it? And then whack, in you go with your problems. So what it turns into is, is a great self-centeredness thing. Um, and that the Bible is, is, is very against being centered on self. Uh, the whole idea of what God has done is that he wants us to put Jesus there. Can you see? Center on Jesus. Uh, rather than just ourselves, our own problems, etc., etc. And so there comes a time when whatever we're feeling down about, okay, even if it's about something that really is bad news and really does hurt, okay, uh, feel the hurt, feel the pain, yes, that is normal and natural, important, okay. But what one's got to do is to realise, and this is where you've got to start talking to yourself, say, well, God has got this in hand. You see, however black the present looks, the future is in God's hands. 
He knows what he's doing about this. Do you see? There's never a point of what I call abject despair. You might feel that, but don't accept it. In the sense that you might feel absolute blackness, despair, there's no help. But you've got to tell yourself and your feelings, that's not true. God is my hope. He's got the future in his hands. And that is where this talking to ourselves has got to come in. It's really got to come in. Because what happens, once you give way to feelings, and feelings are taking over, and yourself is talking to you, then it's a slippery slide, and down you go, and it gets worse and worse and worse, and blacker and blacker and blacker. There comes a point where, like Job, you've got to literally say, right, I've got to, you know, I've got to really give myself a good talking to, I've got to remind myself, however much it hurts, however black I feel, the Lord is in it, the Lord is here, the future is in his hands. It's not actually as black as it looks now. And what will happen if you do that? It's not that you'll stop feeling the feelings, because the feelings are natural. We'll be very careful here. I've always said that there's an order to things. It's fact, faith and feelings. Now, feelings are part of our lives, important, but they've got to stay at the rear. Can you see? You've got to keep them behind so that they're not controlling us. We've got to be in control of them. And there comes this time when we've got to know how to. Literally say, now look, come on, get a grip. The feelings are strong. I'm depressed. It's black. I'm despairing. I see no hope. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because even though I can't see it, God is in charge. Is he? He's got the future all sorted out. He's got the present, all sorted out. And that what you've got to do is be able to feel, feel the feelings, because that's natural, but without them taking over. And then what will happen is that the feelings will start to abate. They'll start to die a bit. They'll come back, they'll come and go. And that's right. But there won't be this controlling of feelings the whole time. And so that's where we've got to learn to give ourselves a good talking to. And when we do that, it's faith. Because that's what the Bible says. When we do that, that is bringing Jesus in, is he? And it's bringing the power of God so that our feelings can be got under control. And uh, the Lord starts to, you know, just get them in their rightful place. Uh, if we live by feelings, it's an absolute disaster, it really is. Uh, because it's like everything, everything becomes too over the top. You know, I mean, it's like every good thing the kind of the reaction is, well, well, I don't think it was as good as that, you know, and swinging from chandeliers type thing. And the slightest bad thing that happens, it's like World War Three. can you see? That is where going by feelings lands you up. It takes years to get there, but I've met people, I've met people who have got there. Manic, can you see? No balance. And that all starts, you know, for those of us who are young, I include myself, for us youngsters, um, if we don't get a grip on it now, that's what's going to start happening. And so if you bring feelings under control, put your foot down and say, right, I'm going to talk to myself. I may be feeling like death, but I'm not going to act in that way. Is he? It may be what I feel, but it's not what I'm going to live. And however hard that is, if we do that, we'll start to find the Lord in the most desperate feelings and start to find ourselves able to have victory in circumstances that were flattening you and without any change of circumstances at all.
Victory over despair is when you realise there's hope. In the midst of those feelings, you realise you see that there's hope. That's victory. Not circumstances changing, or we'd never grow. I mean, if God just changed circumstances, that'd be no good. We'd never grow. And so we've got to be able to sort of like get a grip of ourselves and to be able to say, look, I've got to set a limit to how I'm feeling here. I've got to kind of gird up the loins of your mind. That's what Paul says. You know, the idea is that uh, sort of like the runners in the army, they wore tunics. All right. You know, the men wore skirts. And that if you wanted to really run fast, you had to hook your skirt up. You know, and Paul says, you know, gird up the loins of your mind. Can you see? And get on with that running. You've got to get a grip, literally. Get a grip of your knickers will be kind of like the vernacular today. And that there's a sense emotionally that we've got to do that. But if we do, then the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be in there. And I know from my own experience that it's quite possible. It's not pie in the sky. Um, I mean, I've known what it is to come through abject hopelessness and despair without the situation changing at all. Not at all. But by saying, look, I've got the word of God. It's going to be okay. God has promised that the future is in his hands. Now, that is enough for our minds. It's not enough for our feelings. Understandable, no problem. But if it's enough for our minds, then if we turn our minds on Jesus, as I say, the feelings aren't going to be what we go by. So that's really the idea in the Bible that Job, he gave himself a good talking to. And there were times when David did as well. If you read through the Psalms, one of the things that you'll, you'll find there are the number of Psalms that start off with the psalmist doing, woe is me. Oh, poor old me, isn't this unbelievable? But even worse than that, where is God in it? Where is God in it? So it's the poor old me's, what I call the poms, okay? The poor old me's, and on top of that, there's this kind of, oh, fat lot of good goddies, isn't he? And you'll see that in the Psalms. Now, one of the things that's really good about that is you don't have to act with God. If that's how you're feeling, tell him. He'll convict you of it. <laughs> but tell him. God wants us to be real. So the psalmist, he'd be pouring out his complaint to God. Fat lot of good you are, God. You know, poor old me. You know, the right, you know, the wicked, here am I, I'm righteous. I'm following you, Lord, and I've been trampled underfoot. And there's all the unrighteous people out there. They don't give a, a fig about you, Lord. And, and there they are prospering, having a lovely time. And there's me following you, and I'm getting trodden on by life and by people. And that's how it will start off, poor old me. And then the Holy Spirit starts working and convicting the psalmist. Because if we're going to feel sorry for ourselves, I mean, if you want to, you know, really pour out your complaint to God, do it. He wants us to be real. And that's, that's great, but it's going to be conviction afterwards. Obviously, it's a load of baloney, isn't it? Poor old me. All right? It's baloney. So that comes first. Then the Holy Spirit starts to work. And then the psalmist, what they do is they kind of, they start to look back over things that God had done in the past. You know, like how Israel were hopeless in Egypt, and yet God got them out. And so the mind of the psalmist will go back to what God has done in the past. That the psalmist is feeling hopeless, but he looks back on times when it was like that, and yet God saved them, you see. And then he starts to turn his mind on the Lord. And what he's doing 
His thoughts are now off of himself. He's gone from poor old me. He reminds himself about what God has done. Therefore knows what God is going to do. And he ends up with, Lord, aren't you great? Aren't you marvellous? And that the process is you've gone from thinking about yourself to thinking about Jesus. Now that is what giving yourself a good talking to is all about. Can you see? It's not a kind of a mind over matter thing in our own strength. It's not that at all. It's not just sheer willpower. The point is, as soon as we're doing it, we're doing it in faith. We're doing it because the Word of God tells us that it's not possible for everything to be as bad as we are feeling at that moment. You see? It's not possible. And the reason it's not is because the Lord is in there with us. If the Lord wasn't, then it would be terrible. We'd be quite right to be hopeless. I mean, Paul said of the Gentiles, without God and without hope in the world. But we're saved. We're God's people. We're not without hope. We're not without God. He's in there. So bad it may well be, and pain has got to be felt. That's part of it. Jesus felt pain. But what happened was, is that you never found Jesus, ever. And he was a man of sorrows. I mean, Jesus was one of the most hurting people you'd have ever met. Rejected by everyone. He carried the pain of the whole world. And yet you would never have found Jesus mooching around the wilderness, muttering under his breath how awful everything was. Is he? The moment someone needed him, he was there for them. He was there for them. Is he? And, uh, you know, so this giving ourselves this talking to, because God is in there, and we've got the promises of God. And it's not mind control, it's stepping out in faith. It's saying, I feel awful, this is awful, oh goodness, I can't ever see myself enjoying anything again. It's that bad. And yet that's just what it seems at the moment. And indeed, that moment, it is that bad. But why should it be tomorrow, or next week? or next month, or next year, when God has done his bit in it, you see? So that's the important thing. But when we plumb it down into the old ponds, you know, the poor old me's, then obviously, you know, that just hinders the Holy Spirit working. Uh, so yeah, when one's feeling like that. Now, it's always good to nip things in the bud. Um, and some people, I mean, some people aren't prone to feeling down. You know, very fortunate they are too, which I wasn't, but I am. Um, you know, and I mean, I've known some pretty depressed times in the past, you know, and I've had to just find, you know, sort of like the Lord in there, you know, and get my mind off myself and look to Him. Um, but very often with things like this, it, 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 it starts with a very manageable bit of feeling down. I mean, I can literally wake up in the morning and feel down. Don't ask me why. It might be something to do with my dinner the night before. I honestly couldn't tell you. I honestly couldn't tell you. But sometimes, you, you know, you can just wake up in the morning, or maybe for other people, everything's fine until they go home from work or something, and then whoosh, suddenly they're, uh, you know, and they're just feeling down, and, you know, very prone at that point to a good old wallow, as it were. Now, it seems to me that the very best thing uh, when that happens is, is quite simply to ignore it. It's to ignore it. That's what I do. If I wake up feeling down, I try and ignore it. And you ignore it by trying not to think about it and carrying on doing what you do if you felt great. Here's he. And again, what you're doing there is that you're not letting your feelings get a foothold in your mind and your will. 
That's the whole key to it. Feelings don't come first. They mustn't dictate to us. Let feelings dictate to us when it comes to falling in love and things like that, yes, of course, but that's not the sort of stuff we're talking about. When it comes to feeling down depressions, blah, 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 we mustn't let our feelings dictate to us any more, all right, than a sort of like if, 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 if Satan's trying to stir you up to, you know, to some sin, and there it is very attractive and your feelings are saying, oh, go for it, go for it, the Lord will forgive you. Again, that's a time to forget about your feelings. Don't go by the feelings, go by the word of God. And, uh, but very often, if you ignore it, it will go away because there's nothing feeding it. But if you feed it and start mooching around, um, you know, say, feeling sorry for yourself or, or, you know, or the old woe is me or whatever, then that is going to feed it. That's going to feed it. So it seems to me to kind of basically uh, nip it in the bud when you can. Um, if you think that it's, it's kind of going too far, and you might have legitimately something that would make anyone feel depressed, okay? But the point is, if that is becoming what I would call abnormal, out of kilter, those intense feelings are just going on too long. Can you see? They're affecting you just that bit too much. Uh, then that is the time to really give yourself a good talking to before the Lord. Um, and do that. If that doesn't work, well, obviously, then turn to someone else and they'll give you a good talking to. No, <laughs> but if you turn to someone else and then they're going to be able to say, well, look, you know, and just to bring in, bring in that <laughs> other invisible side to the whole thing. And the other invisible side is that God is in absolute control. But that's a matter of faith, of faith. So the question is, are we going to believe our feelings or are we going to believe God? That, that's the question. When everything is looking black, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe God? Or are you going to believe your feelings that are coming from a sinful nature? Not that feelings are sinful, but every aspect of us are affected by sin, including our feelings. And, uh, you know, so, so therefore, yeah, we've we got to cheer ourselves up. Job did it. David certainly did it, and throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know, you find people trying to get a grip of themselves, girding up the loins of their minds, as it were. You know, sort of like getting a grip of their mental knickers, I suppose one could say. And, uh, you know, and, and, and there's a place for that. But it's not, it's not willpower. I'm not talking about willpower. I'm talking about doing that as an act of faith, because then we're turning from self, and we're turning out to Jesus. And uh, incidentally, one of the things that I've often found, maybe this is where I'm quite fortunate actually got an advantage over some people um, is that often I can sort of like you know sort of like be aware be aware that a little bit of a downer is just it's sort of floating in my direction you know and, and you know the first little wisps of it have gone up my nose I sort of <laughs> breathe them in alright and, uh, and then of course what happens is that someone phones up with a problem now so then I, I have not my you know I'm doing, and then I'll, I feel fine you see, what's happened? I've ignored my feelings and they've gone away. You see? Now, obviously, real victory is when we get to the point where we don't need someone to distract us in order for that to be done. But that takes time and the Lord knows it. But you sort of like, um, uh, I mean, sort of try and... Uh, the next time, all right, that those of you who are subject to downers, not everyone are, no problem. Um, some people are happy all the time, it makes me sick. Um, you know, but I mean, not everyone is subject to downers. But the next time, all right, maybe you're starting to go on a downer, and all you can think about is you, because that's the fundamental thing. 
just going through a self-obsessive phase. Some people are self-obsessed all the time. I mean, that's, that's very hard to handle. But we all go through self-obsessed phases, don't we? Uh, the next time that starts to happen, I mean, sort of like, try and, um, you know, try and find someone who really needs help. Can you see? Or ask the Lord, send someone round who really needs help. Get someone to phone me, get someone to knock on the door. And if, if that would happen, it, it would prove to you that assuming that when you opened the door, you weren't going to say, oh, you think you've got problems. Listen to mine. And some Christians do that, you know. You know, the moment you're in the front door, with the old, you know. But assuming that you can get them in the front door and they have got your 100% attention, you do not matter while they're there. Is he? I'll bet you that by the end of that, and you might not have had the foggiest idea how to help them, but you've just been there for them, I guarantee that when they go, you're sort of, well, you won't even be thinking about yourself. Well, you might be thinking, oh, didn't I handle that well? But I mean, <laughs> we're not talking about the sin of pride now, all right? You know, but the point is that that will have distracted you, and it just goes to show that emotions need something of our conscious will to hang on to. Is he? Now, if we deprive them of that, they'll start to go away. Now, I want to repeat that there are situations where we may carry feelings and the feelings are of sadness or being down and that is absolutely right and proper. I'm not saying that Christians should have no negative feelings like that because Jesus did. He was a man of sorrows. But what I'm saying is that these feelings should not be making us live and act in such a way that we're going completely against what the Bible says and becoming obsessed with ourselves and our problems rather than looking to Jesus and being there to help other people as they come to us. So, I mean, I'm not trying to say that a Christian has got to be happy, happy, happy all the time. That's not what I'm saying. We go through hard testing. Bad things happen. Things that do bring pain hurt, etc, etc. Of course they do. Uh, you know, anyone carrying that kind of hurt, I am not in the slightest saying, it's wrong that you're feeling it. It's right that you're feeling it. You're feeling it because you're a human being and God feels it. That's where we get our feelings from. God's got feelings. But what I am saying is that Jesus never allowed those feelings to prevent him doing what he had to do and being what he was supposed to be. And so we do need to realise that we don't have to be crippled by these things. And yet, it's a process. It's a process. So, on the other hand, if you're still in the process of being crippled every now and then, it's no problem. It's by falling flat on our face that we make progress. That's how we make progress. Um, you know, so it's part of that process, but more and more that is what God is bringing us to, so that we're quite simply less concerned about ourselves um, and our problems, and more concerned about the Lord and more concerned about those around us. So um, that's, that, that, that's how you do it. A little talking to. Not distract yourself out of them by doing things, be it non-music, not Christian music, necessarily, <laughs> or making music, or shopping, or whatever, spending money. I mean, people do different things, don't they? Is that legitimate? Because that gets your mind off it. 
Right, okay, right, there are a few things in there. Um, one of the things you notice about unbelievers, sadly about all too many Christians as well, but it just shows that God hasn't, you know, got into... Right, okay. What I was going to say, though, is, is the fact that there are many, many people who, for instance, cannot live without noise. Constant music, constant DJs, constant distraction of some kind. Now, what, what that really is doing is that sort of that's really more to do with the fact that these people aren't at peace with themselves. They've got to distract themselves from themselves the whole time. Um, so if someone tried to distract themselves from their depression in that way, you're merely replacing one problem with an equally bad one, that of escaping and not facing up to things. But having said that, if you wake up in the morning, or I or say one day, realize I'm getting depressed, I really do feel bad, and it's sort of, all right, at the beginning of the slide. Now, I mean, if you're the sort of person who will every now, I don't mean constant, there's nothing worse than constant anything, especially music, you know, these people who've got to, there is row all the time. There will always be either a telly or a radio on in their house. Can you see what I mean? That, that, that's, that's a bad scene. Um, but if you're someone who it's quite natural for you to put a record on that you enjoy, okay, then if you start feeling depressed, it's actually silly, I'm going to listen to some music, that would be a sensible thing to do. You see, you're returning, you're making yourself go back to a normal lifestyle rather than giving in. Um, or watch a video or go and see someone or something like that. Uh, with things like going out and buying things, that would be different that will be entirely different um, and the reason that will be different is that <coughs> if you're going out to buy something simply because you're feeling down then that means that you are buying something for the sake of it and if you're buying something for the sake of it that is just straight bad stewardship of money by all means, buy something if you want it, and obviously can afford it, you know, I mean, sort of like, you know, not all belting down the bank managers, you know, but if you're going to afford it, by all means, buy it. But it's like some people, they'll start buying because they're depressed, or they'll start buying because they feel empty inside, or they start buying. That's just another variation of having the telly or the radio on all the time. But that one is even worse because it's expensive. You see, the same sin of escaping is there, but what you do is you're also throwing your money away. And people like that, what they do is they, t they end up with this mass of stuff. They don't even know what they've got. You see, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds over years that has been spent purely because they were feeling down. See the point? So, so one needs to, yeah, put on a record or something that you like, so you say, no, I'm not going to give in to this, I'm going to be normal, alright, uh, but yeah, if it goes into, um, I mean, it's like, for instance, you know, some people, they down the pub for a drink, uh, other people, you know, drugs, the point is that that's not dealing with the real problem, that's not dealing with the real problem, and the real problem is overcoming that feeling in a way that the Lord actually wants, rather than just escaping from it, as it were. Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot we can do to help each other here, obviously. 
because I mean, sort of lots of people say within the pressures they've got. I mean, if you just leave them to it on their own, that's not going to help them. You know, phone them up, get them round, go around and see them. Yeah, that's right. That because then you can build them up rather than just leaving them there to fester. If they festered in that circumstance, which is scarcely their fault, is it? They're being let down by other people who could have got in there and, you know, gone and seen them and don't worry, we're in here with you, as it were. Um, you know, but I, I draw a distinction between sort of like, oh yeah, I'll put a record on and forget about how I feel, and sort of like the next step to going out and buying things purely because one's feeling down or depressed, because that isn't the answer. So it's very, very expensive. <laughs> no, Bella, no. <laughs> I mean, when I, I remember in the past, when I was, I was younger, if I, if I felt a bit down, I used to go and find myself a box of chocolate. You know what I mean? Now, I, I've got sort of, now, is that a sort of self-indulgence? I mean, they really did cheer me up. Oh, <laughs> right, were, right. That they were a comfort thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you did feel sorry for yourself, but you just felt that you... You just the, I mean, was it was it uh, was I sort of um, deliberately uh, sort of um, indulging myself, and therefore uh, therefore that would have been wrong, or would it you know? No, or, or would no, it I cheer think. Up yeah, if one if one is just going out, I'll go and buy myself a box of chocolates. Yeah. I mean that that is kind of no different from I'll put my favourite LP on. Oh. I mean it's reasonable. You know, can you see if just buying a box of chocolates helps? What I was talking about with the buying of people that they're doing major buying, can you, that's the only way they can handle it. The only way they can handle it. So I'm talking about people that they'll go out and they're more or less buy anything, even though they, I mean, they might think, yeah, I want that, but they're buying something that there's no way they buy um, that if they weren't down or if they weren't down they might buy it eventually but have thought well no I've bought enough this month I'll I'll look forward to that but 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 this kind of comfort yeah. buying sends you out to do it there and then uh, but no if you wake up one morning and feel down I mean if it's as simple as a half a pound of milk tray well <laughs> by all means yes of course yes of course that is kind of that yeah, I suppose if it was the fifth one that week, again, you're, you're tipping over from the norm. But if one was due to have one's hair done and you were feeling a bit down, well, yeah, because it's something that is acting normal. It's something you were going to do anyway. But if it got to the point where someone was having their hair done for the third time that week because they're depressed, <laughs> you see. But going down and buying that half a pound box of chocolates, that for me is in the category of almost ignoring it. He's ignoring that feeling and just carrying on as normal. But yeah, by all means, a little self-indulgence, like, uh, you know, well, I'll, I'll go and get a video out. You know, assuming that it's an appropriate thing to do and an appropriate time to do it. You can't, you can't wake up in the morning when you're due in the office at 8 o'clock feeling depressed and think, oh, no, I'll, you know, I'll go and get a video out. That's what Beresford <laughs> said. Because yeah, obviously you're supposed to be at work. But obviously I'm saying, as befits the particular occasion. Yes, yeah. Someone who's at peace in themselves haven't got anything to run away from. That's what I mean by being at peace. Uh, quite happy on your own, able to sit down, enjoy your own company. I'm sorry, I'm, 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 I
Right. Well, that's right. But what what was happening through that whole time is that you always needed some kind of external stimulation. These things become a habit. I mean, it's like these things become a habit after a while. You might well find that if you sort of turn the retro thing off for a whole day, you wouldn't miss it. You see, I mean, there might be lots of people. It hasn't really got a hold on them at all, but it's just a habit. Everyone has a radio going all day, so so will I. Um, you know, but I mean, there's a great, you know, there, there are nuggets in solitude. There are nuggets, there are treasures in solitude. But if you're not at peace with yourself, you can't handle solitude. And by solitude, what I mean by that is alone with yourself. Obviously with the Lord as well, but alone with yourself. You know, that I mean, you're not sitting there, I mean, one feeling guilty about something because all your sins are confessed. So you're not sitting there with this guilty conscience trying to get, no, you know, trying to forget the fact that there's someone you know you've really got to go and see now and say sorry, sir. Can you see? There isn't any of that, so there's peace. Uh, there's not this kind of, I have got to be continuously entertained or occupied externally in some ways. You see? There's just a quietness, a peace, and that's what I mean by peace with yourself. Too much, yeah. I'm not talking about. I mean, I'm not talking about going monastic. Well, you know, I'm not talking about that. But it seems to me uh, that the that the Lord would certainly want us to be at peace with ourselves. That that is something that is ours by right, um, and that that that's something that He wants to bring us into. Uh, because you mustn't forget your relationship with yourself. You see, that's important. Some people have a terrible relationship with themselves, you know. Um, but if you've got a good relationship with yourself, you can be at peace with yourself, you can be alone with yourself. I'm not talking about all the time, because obviously, I mean, we need company. You know, I mean, I would see no virtue in someone who could say, oh, well, of course, every fortnight I go away for a three-day retreat and I don't speak to anyone. I mean, I don't see any virtue in that. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about this constantly, so that, for instance, if it was an evening in, you're dead. You're dead. One of the things I remember as a non-Christian is that if Saturday night weren't filled, you were dead. That was it. That week was that week held no virtue whatsoever. If Saturday night was either staying in, that was the ultimate horror, staying in, or just end up street raking. So that's what we used to do, just street raking, if we couldn't find somewhere to gate crash. If, if, I mean, the very, the terror was being home on Saturday night. That was the great terror, all right? But either at home or just ending up street raking on a Saturday night. If Saturday night weren't filled with something, and it had to be what I call partying, it had to be something sinful, all right? The week was a loss. It was an utter dead loss. Now that's because I wasn't at peace with myself. When I got converted, when I got to know the Lord, well, I mean, nice quiet evening and on my own became a luxury because there was so much to do serving the Lord, you see? That's what I mean by being at peace with yourself. It's not the clamour, the clamour for things to do all the time or, you know. But having said that, some people are bone idle. This isn't, this is not the talk they need. You know, because I mean, some people, they're quite at peace with themselves, but they're lazy. That's a completely different thingy. I mean, it's like people who are lazy will be saying, oh, it's so right what you're saying, Verity. And of course, they never leave their backsides. Quite happy.
that's that's not what I'm talking. You see, I'm I'm steering down the middle. You see, but there are some people, and they're the um. One father called his child fidget bum, and they're the fidget bums, aren't they? The fidget bums. They can't sit still. There's always it's got to be activity, or if there's no activity, something to look forward to. You know. Well, we are going out Saturday night, aren't we? Do you see? Yeah. So, so that's that's not being at peace with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of people who aren't at peace with themselves could be at peace like that because they've got their distraction. What I'm saying is without distraction. I mean, I'm practically talking about something that is meditative, to meditate. Now, I'm not talking about transcendental, but I'm talking about that contemplation and self-appraisal that comes when you are alone with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly that. Meditating. <laughs> Meditating. Meditating on the truth of whatever there is, the truth of the Word of God. I don't mean, I'm, I'm not talking about the transcendental empty your mind stuff, that's not what I'm talking about at all. But the Bible talks about to meditate. And the word for meditate literally means to chew the cud. You know? And a cow, they've got various stomachs, haven't they? And they get a mouthful of grass. All right, and they have they chew on it. You see them there chewing. See, so they chew it and then they swallow it, and it goes down into stomach number one. But you see, stomach number one isn't enough to digest it. So later it could be any time. Up it comes again, and they chew that clod of earth and grass again. Chew it over a little bit more goodness out of it. Down into stomach number two. They've got three, haven't they? Or is it two? Four. Four. Right. So a bit later, up it comes again, chew it over. Can you see? This is the contemplative life. Can you see? Chewing over. I mean, a lot of people, um, a lot of people, one of the things that you notice in life, in so many areas, you know, whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's just individual people in normal life situation, families or whatever, you see an incredible lack of common sense in people. The truth is that the average Joe in the street is not sensible. In fact, he's stupid. I'll tell you how I know that. Advertising works. I'm afraid the truth is that the average man in the street is, you know, a bit of a gawk, isn't he? Or she. You know, a bit, bit brainless. Advertising works. Ad adverts work. Now that tells me the average person in the street is a bit of a div, you see. Because they're fun that they believe what advertisers say. Now I can't think of anything more stupid. If you want to go through life getting fleeced, believe what advertisers say. I mean, if you can believe what advertisers say, then I think you're going to be in trouble for the rest of your life. I mean, you are just the mug that is, you know, on his way to whatever salesman or whatever. So the point is that the average person acts stupid. Now, before I'm accused of intellectual snobbery or something like that, the average person is not actually stupid. I said they act stupid. And one of the things that amazes me is that the vast majority of people act below their intelligence quotient. 
they, are, they have the potential for far more common sense than they show. Now, why is that? Well, I'll tell you. It's because they have no contemplative element in their life. They don't sit and chew things over. There's no reflection on life. Can you see? Chewing the cud. Everything is superficial. Very, very superficial. So the reason that the average man in the street is a clod is not because he's thick. It's be he might be very intelligent. He might be someone that if you could get hold of them and teach them, could become a very contemplative person. But there's simply, there's a, whole, there's a whole muscle of themselves as a person that never gets exercised, is it? And, uh, you know, they're practically brain dead in regards to certain areas of life. And uh, so that is why the Bible lays such emphasis on the contemplative side of life. But for that, you've got to be at peace with yourself, see, or it will just never happen. And the reason it doesn't happen is because most people aren't at peace with themselves. So therefore, it's a constant round of activity, you know, sort of like, you know, yeah. I mean, whatever, be it at work, partying, or whatever, it's people running away from themselves, running away from the realities that are them. Because they can't handle uh, the truth and the situations that they're in. So they run away from it. But if you're at peace with yourself, then you can actually look into these things. You can... Chew, chew the cud about them. Be at peace with yourself. Some people, sorry, some people. Let me just get into a lotus position now, having said that. <laughs> <laughs> some people can have all the friends in the world and still feel lonely. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's the same probably is not being a Yeah. Why Yeah. Why? Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, there are some people, and probably their relationship with themselves is at least a factor. There are some people who shy away from what I call deep, meaningful relationships. They shy away from it. And I think the reason is that relationships always mean accountability. Number one, they mean risk. If you relate to someone in a significant way, you open yourself to potentially be hurt by them if they let you down. I'm not, you know, I'm not just about boyfriends and girlfriends, but in every area of life. So some people, they don't want the responsibility and the commitment of relating to people in a deep way. And so what they do is they end up with shallow. And most relationships, the average relationship is shallow. You see what I mean? Uh, you've only got to go out on a Saturday night see these great hordes of friends out enjoying themselves there's not there's not a friendship there there's not a friendship there there's a semblance of well I mean no there may be some friendships genuine but they're going to be in the minority can you see you've basically got these 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 sort of like you know load of clods moving in close formation right, <laughs> descending on places and you find that the relationships are very very shallow you see because again with deep relationships again you're up against things uh, that a lot of people they don't they don't want the responsibility they don't want the commitment deep friendships and deep relationships mean inconvenience you see you can't have your an Englishman's home is his castle if you've got meaningful relationships 
Because these meaningful relationships might need you at any moment. And if the first time that happens you tell them to get stuff because I always see you on a Thursday night and tonight's Tuesday, <laughs> then, then you're not going to have meaningful relationships, are you? It's, it's as simple as that. Um, you know, and indeed one of the things about following Jesus is that what is the church about? It's about relationships because Christianity is a relationship with God. It's a relationship with Jesus. And we work that relationship with him out in our relationship with each other. And uh, it's something that doesn't, that doesn't, sadly, for many people, come naturally. But it's something that's got to be worked on. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people, they are lonely in a crowd. Uh, but then there are a lot of people, they're mercenary as well. Um, some people, because they're not at peace with themselves, can spend no time alone. Um, so therefore, the moment there's no outward distraction, they're bored, bored and restless. Now, obviously, when that happens, there's a great temptation to get with people under any circumstances, just people, boom, 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 boom. And so you end up lonely in a crowd. But the point is, of course, you're going to be lonely because you're not going there for their benefit. You're not going to go there to give to that group of people. They're, you know, you're just going there to string along because you prefer the chatter of other people around you rather than being on your own because you get bored sick on your own because you're not at peace with yourself. That is why a lot of people are lonely in a crowd. Uh, you could be lonely in this fellowship. Now, what do I mean by that? Hopefully not because people aren't there to be friends. If that happens, that will be wrong. But even in a group of people where people have got that significant relationship with you waiting, it's on offer, you could yet be someone who could still be lonely even in this church. And the reason being because you're not entering into significant relationships, is it? It's just a kind of like a, just a, a joining in with the crowd. It's a herd instinct thing, you see. So you can end up lonely in a crowd, even when that crowd loves you and they don't want you to be lonely, you see. Uh, a lot of people who are lonely, a lonely person tends to say, now I mean some people are lonely, if a husband loses a wife he's going to be lonely, that's not the sort of thing I'm talking about now, okay, not the loss of someone very close, I'm not talking about that. But there are some generally lonely people, okay. And quite frankly, the reason they're like, I mean, when you talk to them, it's always because no one accepts them, is it? But the truth of the matter is that even if they found people who would accept them, they are impossible to accept because they're not playing the rules, is it? If they're there for mercenary reasons, you cannot really include them in. in, in you can try, but it's so shallow. It's so very shallow. So a lot of people are lonely with a self-imposed loneliness. When they do get in with people, they won't draw near. They're, they're awkward. They won't, they won't play the rules, if you see what I mean. They want all the benefits of it, but they're not willing to open themselves to run the risks to commit themselves, is it? So they hang back. They're there, but they're not really. And yet all the time they're very lonely, but they don't want to be lonely. And for a lot of people in that situation, they've got to eventually realise that it is pr it's possibly actually something in themselves that is contributing to that, is it? In order to be able to relate in a two-way thing with people, you've got to be willing to give. 
Now, when you've got people who want relationships to take, it's no good. It's no good. When two people get married, and they get married, and the idea is each is thinking, what can I get out of it? That marriage will flounder. I mean, in Great Britain at the moment, two out of, two out of three marriages, sorry, one out of three marriages end, you know, end, okay? But of the two-thirds where people don't get divorced, I'm absolutely convinced that at least half of them are marriages only by name. Can you see? They're the classic, they don't even talk to each other. It's just that some people, they wouldn't get divorced, would they? I mean, they'll sit there hating each other for 25 years, but they're too righteous to go and get divorced, can you see? Um, so marriages, by and large, are a flop. They're a dead loss. Marriage is fundamentally a dead loss. Now, why is it? in today's society. Well, it's because today's society is so far away from what God wants. And the attitude, more and more in people's mind, is that you enter something for what you get out of it, not for what you give. So there are millions of people who got married, and they got married because they thought, oh, this is good, I won't be lonely anymore. I won't be sexually frustrated anymore. I won't have to sort of like be with my friends on my own, I'll have a wife there. I will have someone who says nice things. I will have someone who loves me. You see, now all those things are absolute genuine part of marriage. Of course they are. But if that is all you're thinking of, that marriage will be a disaster. Because the point is, you go into marriage for what you can give to your partner, not for what you can get out of them. And that is why so many marriages flounder. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people, okay, uh, my age, um, who have known what it is to be married and divorced within two years. Sometimes quite a few times. And the reason is because it was gone into on the wrong footing. Now, the only reason that I'm saying that is that it proves the point that if you try to relate to people primarily for what they're doing for you, then you're not going to get deep, significant relationships. Is it? To get them true friendship. That's got to be, what can I give to this relationship? Not, what can I get out of it, but what can I give? So, yeah, it's hard work relationships. It's very much worth it. Very much worth, worth it. John. friendships and things like this. As you know, two of my mates, That's right. Yeah. Right. There are two schools of thoughts when it comes to that one. Why is it that when you get converted, you lose your friends? Now there are two schools of thought. The first school of thought is that, well, it's obvious, isn't it? Because now you've become a believer. 
the Holy Spirit's in you, your non-Christian friends are children of the devil, so they're going to be totally antagonistic to you, and so therefore the relationship ends. Okay. Now that is the first argument. Um, I see truth in it, but I'm not of that school at all. The school of thought I'm in, in regards to that, is the reason you lose all your friends, or, or most of them, or that most people lose most of their friends, if not all of them, when they get converted, is quite simply the fact that when you become a Christian, you find a real relationship with Jesus. And what you then discover is that you didn't have any friends at all. You were using the wrong word. Now, I'm of that school of thought. I've never met anyone else who is, but I am. That, that is the conclusion that I've come to. Um, because I really don't believe that good friends let each other down just because they don't agree with each other. I really don't believe that. So it's the discovery that they weren't the friends. They were in that relationship for something they were getting out of you, which stopped when you became a Christian. Now, sadly, I know quite a few people here, and I've seen this again and again and again in regards to churches. I mean, sort of say, some of you are here and you've been involved with various churches, haven't you? Have you noticed you've lost all your friends at your prior church? Have you noticed that? I mean, that is, you know, it's exactly the same principle. And people say, why is it? And the answer is, they weren't your friends. They weren't your friends. They were going through the motions, and indeed, probably, they thought it was genuine friendship. But it was shallow. It was shallow. The moment you left their church to go to one that they didn't agree with, they got the ump. It put their nose out of joint. That is crazy. How can you... Well, it's, you're stupid. If you've got a fr I've got friends in other churches. Why should it affect my friendship from my point, the fact that they don't agree with me and I don't agree with them. That's not what friendship is based on. Friendship is based on something much deeper than that. I've lost friends simply through saying things in the course of Bible teaching that they disagreed with. Well, no, they weren't my friends. They weren't my friends. But it took that to show me that they weren't my friends. So I think that really, I don't think friendship is as common as we say it is, is it? It's not. Uh, for most friendships in the world are acquaintances. And, and, and I mean, one's got to be honest, they are acquaintances. And as long as there's nothing to disturb that acquaintanceship, you will have the same superficial feeling and indeed camaraderie of really deep relationships. Outwardly they will look the same. Is it? But the, the real deep friendship is not going to be severed no matter what happens. The only thing that can sever a true friendship is if one party says, that's it, I've finished with this friendship. See? And um, you know, I mean, uh, I've, I've discovered so many people who I thought were my friends who weren't. And I'm not just talking about when I got converted. Since I've been a Christian, I have made many, many, many Christian friends who I discovered later. They weren't my friends. Whatever I made with them, it wasn't a friendship. I thought it was, but obviously it wasn't for them. Don't See? <laughs> well, you're, you're safe with dogs. They can't agree with you. Well, exactly. Yeah, you gain more than you lose. Of course you do with the Lord. Yeah. But, but that, I'm sure, is the reason. Is the reason. Um, 
that's that's sad, but uh, that's that's the way it works. But then on the other hand, if I've got people to whom I am a friend, and nothing's going to get in the apart from them telling me, right, that's it, I don't want your friendship. Apart from that, or okay, if God moved me and blinded to Australia or something, we couldn't carry the friendship on, obviously, we'd be too far away. But apart from that, we are friends, is he? And come what may, we're in there with them. But if they don't reciprocate that, then eventually it's going to break down somewhere. And, and that's sad. There's something different about you, don't they? Very marked. I lost practically all my business friends. You know. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Right, yeah. Well, if they're not, they're not, you know, it's like um, they have to sort of learn to be friends with a different person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think there are all these things as well. But I think what I'm saying is that for a relationship to truly deserve the word friendship, things like that aren't going to split it up. So that if things like that do, you had at least on one side, if not both, but at least on one side, they weren't actually friends. Can you see? They let it go too easily. They were obviously more in it for what they could get out of it than for what they could give. Um, you know, so as I say, that is why, I mean, if it was just that you get converted and lose all your friends, I mean, I tend to go for the first argument, you know, that I said, you know, it's the devil and all that. No, but it happens amongst Christians. So that rather blows that out of the water, and I'm forced, I am forced, um, after years and years of being what I will call unrealistically idealistic. Um, my unrealistic idealism was based on the assumption that of course Christians are doing what the Bible says. I, I, I made that fundamental error the night I got converted. I assumed that Christians were living in submission to Jesus, just as I was. It's not true. It's not true. Sadly, it's not true. And so, therefore, you come through many, many bad experiences. Um, you know, I mean, I, other people as well. I know what it is to have had people who I thought were my friends, my Christian friends, lie about me, turn on me, spread rumours about me. And I know that other people here have had similar experiences. You know, so the point is that what that throws into limelight for me is that they weren't my friend. And I was ever so sad to discover with these individuals that they weren't, but they weren't. They weren't. It's probably more, more acute in your case. Please be my friend. Because you were preaching the Word of God. Yeah. The Word of God is sharp and two-edged. Oh, yeah. It's really hurting people. It does. And if you wouldn't give any quarter on the word of God, you know, and you no. say, well, this is what God says. Well, yeah, that's right. That's right. I can see that, yeah, yeah. But the point is that having said that, there are so many others, people who are my friends, who, I mean, if it was just a question, oh, well, of course, you know, if a Bible teacher preaches the word of God in an uncompromised way, he can't expect to have any friends, can he? Well, believe me, I wouldn't be a Bible teacher no. if that was true. But, but it's not true. It is purely the hearts of the people. I mean, I've had friends stick with me through thick and thin. And I mean, the point is that when you realise you're losing friends who weren't your friends, you're discovering they weren't your friends, your real friends are standing right with you while it's happening. You see? So, you know, it's, it's the genuineness of people's heart, I suppose.
we've got to be realistic about this. This is why we emphasise at this fellowship, we've got to earn our right with each other. We've got to earn our right. So, that, you know, I've got to show you that I'm not a fair weather friend. Is it? Is it? I mean, I, I can come in and say, oh, I'm real friend for life. I'll lay down my life for you. Well, okay, but, but you need a year or two to substantiate that, is it? And I need a year or two with everyone. No problem. So that's our emphasis here. We, we earn our right with each other. So that it's real. So it's reality. Is everyone fascinated or just asleep? <laughs> um, one fact... Actually, I mean, sort of no note, but some time ago, I actually, you know, sort of found myself in a position where advice was being squeezed out of me like a stone. And um, so, you know, sort of like this person wanted advice about their problems, and so I gave it to them. And I said, don't talk about your problems for another month. Let's not hear any more of it. See? Haven't seen them since. But for some people, for some people, that is the best thing they could do, is it? Um, I mean, it, it, it's, I've often sort of said there are two types of Christians. Now, now some, some people, they teach that there are two types of Christian. The first type are Christians with problems, and the other type are the Christians without problems. That's baloney. But there are two types of Christian. The first type of Christian has problems and lives on top of them. The second type of Christian has problems and lives under them. And the reason that some Christians think that other Christians don't have problems, well, sometimes it's because Christians tell porkies. Some Christians actually want you to think they don't have problems. Well, I mean, they're lying. Don't believe them. But the reason, there are some people who are quite open, quite open, that they've got problems. Same as everyone else. I mean, the same boat as you. Boom, 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 boom. And yet other, you know, and they might be someone who's living on top of their problems. And other Christians, they keep saying, oh, they haven't got any problems, have they? Because... If you're living under your problems, you can't begin to conceive how it's possible to live on top of them. So someone who's living on top of their problems, well, they don't have any problems, do they? Well, of course they do. Of course they do. It's not the problems. We've all got problems. But it's whether or not one is living problem-oriented. Is he? I mean, so that there might be someone who knocks on your door and you think, Ah, brilliant, it's Brian. Knock on the door. You're like, oh, it's Brian, brilliant. See? And then the next night there's a knock on the door. And you open the door and you think, oh no, it's him with all his problems. <laughs> yeah? Now, you see? Now, both those people might have as many, their, their problem factor might be exactly the same. But can you see? The real problem, what it goes to show, the real problem is not the problem we've got. It's our attitude of letting the problem or problems we've got be on top of us all the time, you see. And, uh, you know, so, so it, it is possible to live above your problems. Um, you know, by which I mean you've got them, or, you know, but they're, they're not dominating. That's, that's the point. I think we they're not dominating. As far as we can tell, born again Christians who have ongoing problems which seem absolutely insoluble, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. There is a strong argument for hanging at the elders' discretion. Um, <laughs> I say that in love. Um, yeah, but but it, it's 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 not actually. It's it's not. Yeah, indeed, there are Christians whom I have known, and I'm not. And, and I'm talking about something that one observes now over a very long period of time. There are times when, say, someone might come into the fellowship and they are really steamrolled by their problem. And it may be a couple of months and they're still really, you know, that thing's on top of them. But give it another couple of months and they're doing brilliant. I'm talking about long term. I mean, anyone can go through periods where maybe for six months they're devastated by a problem. Any of us could go through that. But I'm talking about there are indeed some Christians who, when you really get to know them, you would come to the conclusion that they are unhelpable, that there is no hope for these people. Because it doesn't matter how much time you spend with them. It doesn't matter how much you support them. It doesn't matter, you know, you give them, you know, sort of like so much rope, as it were, again and again and again and again and yet they never get anywhere at all but the real truth of the matter is that it's their failure to be honest now a lot of people have various how can i say i believe mental and emotional complaints that they can't actually get it would be un you couldn't say well look go home and next week i want you back here with that particular problem sorted out no way no way could they do that that, you know, these things may be mental things, emotional, they're too big, okay. But with these people, what I've noticed is that there are always little things that they could get sorted out. You see what I mean? Little things that are quite possible. They won't do them. They won't do them. And indeed, the reason that they're such a big problem is their continuous refusal to do the little things that need doing. Is it? And, you know, so, yeah, they are indeed unhelpable. But the problem isn't that their problems are too big. The problem is they're not honest. They're not willing to... Thank you, John. They're not willing... They're not willing to be honest in the little things. You know, people who suffer from sleeping sickness and things like that. You see... So, so, yeah, some Christians, they do develop the most enormous problems, and I mean, they're virtually beyond help. But the reason is because they, they've, not been, they've not put the little things right with God. They've not put the little things right with other people. And, and, and there's been years and years and years and years and years of this. And, of course, like their other problems have just been getting bigger and bigger and bigger until their minds give and their emotions give. And they literally are emotionally ill. They're mentally ill. And, like, there's no, you know, there's no immediate thing you can do to help except to boil it down and to start working with them on the little things. The little things. But if they won't do the little things, and my experience with most of these people is they won't do the little things, and it reaffirms to me that it's because of that they ended up like it in the first place. Is he? So... Obviously, we strive with such people 
But uh, we, mustn't, we mustn't think, oh, we've let them down. If we can't actually help them, they don't want to be helped. They want attention. But having said that, you've got to carry, you've got to let them take you for a ride long enough to know beyond doubt that they're not willing. I mean, it's no use having, you know, like, say, a problem person around for a couple of months and it's like, oh, well, dear, oh, dear. You know, no, no way. They're phoning me up at two o'clock in the morning too often now. Now, they're unhelpable. That's not what I'm talking about. You've got to be there and be there and be there and be there for them. And it's only when you've done that that you're in the position to then make that judgment, this person is unhelpable. Now, I am not going to spend any more time with them. Can you see? But you can't do that lightly. You've got to do that knowing that it's true because you've been available to help them so much for so long that they have proven to you beyond all doubt they're not actually going to let you help them. They want your attention but they're not willing to do what you're saying in order for them to start to get well again. Uh, you know, so I mean the point is we mustn't get to the place where, you know, someone comes who's very difficult and then after a couple of months we're sort of trying to find a clause to get rid of them on. You know, that they're unhelpable. That, that would be dangerous, all right? But there is a time when you know beyond doubt if people are unhelpable, you've got to stop wasting time with them. They've wasted too much time of too many people before. Well, the but, I make no comment. I, I would, I, what I say is purely general. It's purely general. <laughs> Right, well, shall we um, finish there?